Good morning. I'm so happy to be up here uh, with you all again to dive into God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at the book of Judges. If you are unfamiliar with the book of Judges, it's a book written at the time of God's people where they're without a king. This is before Saul, this is before David, this is before Solomon. And a common theme throughout Judges is the people like wanting a king. Like all these other nations want a king. Where's our king? But then you also see a common theme in Judges where God's people are drifting away from God. So he ha- God has these people called Judges in the lives of his people. And those are the ones that are kind of trying to help God's people pursue God. And if you read through Judges, you find that some Judges are bad and some judges are good. Some are better at their job than others. Today we're going to be looking at one of the judges, and his name is Gideon. And he is one of the better judges. And we're going to be looking specifically at Gideon and the very first thing that Gideon did after he was called by God to be the Savior for God's people. So we're going to look at Judges 6, starting in verse 28 through 35. This is the word of the Lord. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Bizarites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all of Mansa, and they too were called to follow him, and he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Dear God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for this story, God. Now as we dive into it, let our hearts and our minds be open to the truth that is there, God. That, that let us be accepting the fact that You are our God above all other gods. That You should be where our eyes are focused on, God. And give us the strength to believe that when the world throws things at us, that You are stronger than them, God. We want to give You all the praise all the honor, and all the glory, for you are the only one worthy of it. Amen. So again, this passage is about Gideon, and this is the first thing that Gideon does. But the first uh, 20-something verses of Judges 6 give you an intro of who Gideon is, and to save us from reading 35 verses, I'm just going to summarize the first 20-something verses of Judges 6. And basically, Gideon was just doing chores one day. He was harvesting wheat. And he was in a land, and it said he's in a hostile land, but he's just going about his life, doing his normal thing. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord came to him and said, you are going to save God's people, all while he was just doing his chores. 
So like, no pressure there, right? All right, so, so Gideon comes, and all of a sudden he hears this, and his first question is probably something maybe most of us would be like, be like how am I going to do that? And then he responds, he said, I'm the weakest of my clan. I'm the least of my father's house. How am I supposed to save Israel? And the Lord, through this angel, says, you're going to be okay. You're going to do it because God is with you in your conquest. So Gideon does the next thing, and he's like, okay, first, before I'm all on board with this, can you prove to me that you're actually an angel of the Lord? Right? Instead of just some like, crazy guy that says some crazy outlandish thing. And the angel actually proves to him, yes, I am giving you a sign. I am from God. What I'm telling you is true. God is with you. You're going to save Israel. So at that point, Gideon's like, okay, I'm convinced. And now I'll start along this journey. But even in that, in verse 27, you see that Gideon, yeah, he's on board now. He gets, okay, God, you chose me to save Israel. I don't exactly know how or when. And he's a little hesitant because in verse 27, he says he gets a couple buddies, like 10 guys, and they go out and destroy this altar of Baal, but they do it at night because he's still afraid of being captured. But you still see Gideon accepting a call. He is dedicating his life to God and God's plan for him. And I love these kind of stories. I love this story. I remember hearing the story first when I was like in elementary school, like third grade. And, and it just reminds me of so many other times where the Lord works in this way, where he sends an angel of the Lord or he sends a burning bush or something crazy. And he says, you, you individual, you, Gideon, you're going to save my people. He does this with Abraham. He does this with Moses. You can see him working through David. You can see him working through even Mary and Joseph being the earthly parents of Jesus. God comes in crazy ways, supernatural ways, and God's plan always comes to pass. And usually he's using people like a Gideon, a humble man who's just trying to go about his life, and then God throws him into this crazy situation. And for each of these examples, Gideon and all the other names I just mentioned, you can go through their story in the Scriptures and you can say it's not an easy road. None of them just like jaunted down and like saved Israel. There's conflict, there's pain, there's danger, there's hardship, and there's loss. The sinful world is kind of combating God's plan. And the sinful nature that's in the world is trying to hinder what God wants to come to pass. So I wanted to show us that when we look at a passage like this, we can see a man dedicating his life to God even in harsh circumstances. So we can learn that when we dedicate our life to God and we're met with hostility from the world, and when I say hostility from the world, I'm not saying like the world's all out to get us, but there is a sense that there's a sinful nature in the world that's kind of pulling us away from God. So when we dedicate our life to God, we will be met with some hostility in the world, but in that, God gives us the Spirit to guide us. So I brought up other examples, Abraham, Moses, David, Mary, and Joseph, but I think I can show you this by just looking at our passage today. So the first thing I want to show us is just how life got harder for Gideon when he dedicated his life to God. Looking at this passage, you can see it kind of gets really hard for Gideon very fast. He's called to act, and Gideon is now kind of on board with this. And his first thing that he does is destroy an altar of Baal. At that time, an altar of Baal is just another false god that other people worship, saying, that's our god. But Gideon knew that that's not the true god. That is not the god above all gods. It's a false god, and his first act is to destroy this altar of Baal. And you can see what happens in our story. And 
his action is met with a call for death. The very first thing that Gideon does, the response is that people in the world want him to die because of what he's done. So Gideon is struggling with this idea that in a world that's hostile against him, how is he still supposed to live a life dedicated to God? In our passage in verse 28, this goes through and it says, the men found out early in the morning, they saw their, their altar was broken down and they found out who it was. They searched, they did an investigation and they found out that Gideon, the son of Joash, was the one that did it. So these men came to Joash and said, bring me your son so we can kill him. Gideon was just doing chores in a, in, a, in a threshing floor ten verses ago, now being called to be put to death because he dedicated his life to God's mission. Because he dedicated his life to serve the God above all gods instead of this God, Baal. And what was the world's response? Did, were they all throwing him a prey? Like, you did it. You killed the, the dead God. You killed Baal. No. Instead, he's been called to be put to death. Gideon's life was changed just by dedicating his life to God and what God called him to do. Overnight, he turned into a target. And now I want to make it known again, I'm, I'm usually like a really happy guy, but this all sounds like really sad. Um, but I do want to point out that, that there are things happening. You have, you have God. When you dedicate your life to God, you pursue God. You want to pursue the goodness of God. You want to enjoy Him and you want to worship Him forever. But oftentimes this world throws us other things to do. They say, no, don't worship and enjoy God. Worship and enjoy yourself instead. Worship and enjoy this other God instead. So when I talk about the world being hostile, I'm not talking about the world's out to murder us all. There's plenty of great things in this world. But when I talk about the world being hostile, I'm simply talking about the idea that there is a fallen sinful nature in this world that's trying to pull us away from God. And as individuals who dedicated our life to God, we should pursue God and His goodness and enjoy Him and worship Him rather than enjoying and worshiping ourselves more than God. So hopefully you can see that Gideon goes through this and we can see that hopefully in our lives, in a world that's hostile against us as Christians, we're still called to live a life dedicated to God. But how do we do that? Gideon's call was to go, and his first thing it is, is he destroyed an altar of Baal. I don't know about you, but I have never crossed an altar of Baal to go tear down here. Our world is different, and I'm definitely not saying, like, go to another religious institute and destroy that. Don't do that at all. That's crazy. That's against the law. That's vandalism and much more. But what are we supposed to do? How can we look at the story of Gideon and say, Gideon dedicated his life and he made a call and he pursued that call. How can we be called to action? What are the type of idols in our lives that we can tear down? And I think we all have them. The idols, the altars in our life are seen as idols in our life. And if you don't know what, what idols are going on in your life, I have a simple exercise. Just make a mental list starting with one and going down to however many. Number one is the top priority in your life. What's most important? What deserves the most of your time? The one thing you should worship above all things. Hopefully, we're in church and you have the good Christian answer, and that's God. God's number one. Then start to think, where's family fall on your list? Where does the church body fall on your list? All those are good things. But then start thinking, where does money fall on my list? Where does security in my job? Is family or something else more of a priority to me than God? Maybe there's something that popped into your list that's more material. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's 
your man cave or your library, whatever it is. Maybe it's something even more detrimental to your spiritual health, like that hidden folder of explicit content on your computer or dependence on drugs and alcohol. Where do those things rank on your list? Are any of those things, number one, and God's below it? If anything is above God in your life, those are the idols in our life. Those are the altars that we have built up in our life. And we're called to tear those down. Our call to action, just like Gideon had a call to action, is to tear down the false idols and altars in our life. You can look at the very first two commandments and it summarizes that. It says God's number one. No matter what, God is number one. And you shouldn't worship anything else other than Him. So maybe that can be our call, like Gideon had a call. But life is hard. And life as a Christian sometimes can even seem harder because we're called to live a life dedicated to God and not to ourselves. When the world all around us oftentimes is saying, just live like you want to live. Do what you want to do. Or, you know, just do this one time. It's no big deal. Just look at him this way. Just look at her that way. Just take advantage here. Just take this. It's going to make you feel better. Those are kind of the lies that the sinful nature of the world kind of throws in our hearts. And often it takes us away from where we should be, and that is enjoying God and worshiping Him. So yes, this is kind of sad and kind of hard to wrap our minds around. And nobody wants to say like, oh, I'm failing at being a good Christian. But maybe there is an idol in your life that you do need to tear down. And luckily, we don't have to do it alone. Because it's dangerous for us to do this all on our, uh, on our, sorry, it's dangerous for us to do it all on our own. God gives us each other to help when times are tough. If you guys are familiar with a game, this might sound really nerdy, but The Legend of Zelda. Familiar with The Legend of Zelda? Anybody? Maybe some of the younger people. Okay. Thanks, Ian. All right. So The Legend of Zelda, right? It's, a, it's an old video game and there's been a bunch of them. But the very first one, there's a very first line. And if you saw the, the name, Ian, if you saw the name of the... Okay, got it. Right, the very name of this sermon is a line straight from Zelda, right? And in it, you basically play this character and you're trying to save this princess. And you cannot go on your quest unless you have a specific item. And a line pops up and it says, it's dangerous to go alone, take this. Without this item, you would not be able to accomplish your quest. So I want us to think about it this way. When we're shown this hostility, when the sin of the world is trying to pull us away from God, we need to help each other. We need it. We cannot do it on our own. It's dangerous to go alone. And this is more than just uh, like those posters in a conference room saying like teamwork is dream work. Right? So this idea is throughout scriptures of a, a body stepping up and helping God's people move on through their lives and like helping somebody like Gideon go through his call that God put on his life. Look at verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, we will, con- or, will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken. So the people of town found Joash and they found out that Gideon, his son, was the one behind the destruction of the altar and they come to Joash knocking on his door saying, give us your son, we need to kill him for what he has done to our God. And then this shows us a couple things about Joash. First, that he's a total boss. 
Right? He's an amazing dad, and I'm a sucker for these amazing dad moments. But this guy is standing down, probably what is an angry mob of men. They're calling for his son, and he looks him in the eyes and says, No, you're not going to kill my son. This group of men is probably just crazy enough to make any excuse to turn on Joash and now kill Joash instead. But he stands strong. He says, No, I'm defending my son. You're not going to kill him. And then he goes on even further. He's basically mocking Baal. He's mocking these people's God right in front of their face, saying, you know what? He wronged Baal. Let Baal kill him. Is Baal not strong enough to kill Gideon? He's doing all that while staring down these men that are calling for blood. He, Gideon had community. Gideon had help from his father. He had a group of people willing to help him out when he needed it the most. Joash did not run. Joash stood strong and protected Gideon. And you can see it later in the last couple of verses. You can see the people that are coming to Gideon to help Gideon because he's going to need help through the rest of Gideon's mission that God is sending him on. So, what, so that's Gideon. That's what's going on with Gideon. Gideon clearly had people in his life. What about us today? What does it look like for us to be in a role like Joash? What does it look like us to be like Gideon who needs somebody Hopefully today we can, we can look back on our life and we can, we can think of a time where we can stand up and be as supportive as Gideon's father. Maybe there's someone in our life that needs help. Maybe someone just needs to know that you have their back. Or maybe there's someone in your life that God has placed there just so you can share the life-changing message of the Gospel. My prayer for you and for me is that we can step up when we have the ability to. And I also pray that we have those in our lives to come and help support us when we are in need. Community and fellowship is such a key to living as a Christian in a world that sometimes wants to pull us away from God. I hope you can see the importance of that, the importance of being one body in the church, helping each other, because we often have this weird, sinful, fallen nature that just kind of wants to pull us away from God. We need each other to guide us and to show us to a better understanding of who God is and how He wants us to live. We are in need of somebody to help show us the dangers and the perils of this world and hold each other accountable. Look at Jesus. He had disciples. The perfect one. The one who lived, died, and became resurrected. He needed people in His life too. He had His disciples. Paul had his missionary partners. The church is a place that God created for His people to come together, help and encourage and enrich and defend each other when needed. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with the church. I'm not trying to get too crazy. But the problem is that it's made up of sinners. We're all sinners. We all have failed each other. I love my wife, but I have sinned against her. Maybe because I was lazier, because I want to do what I want to do and not what she wanted to do. Not because I wanted to hurt her, but it just because my selfish and my sinful desires, it just kind of happens. The church is filled with people who are sinful. So we shouldn't look to the church as an ultimate place for help. But luckily, we do have an ultimate helper, an ultimate savior, an ultimate protector. For that, we have something far greater than us as people in the church. We have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we're shown hostility, when we're, when we're being drawn away from God because of our own sin and the sin in this world, and when our earthly support system is just not enough, 
always remember that we have the Spirit to guide us. This is a very important concept to grasp. Because without God, we all would fail. Without the work of God the Father, without the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, without the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we would never be able to return to the fold of God, which is where we were created to be. We need help from a higher power, far greater than ourselves and other Christians. This can be seen in the life of Gideon in our story. We have a man, he's just harvesting wheat in a hostile land, and then an angel calls him to act. And he does it, but the Lord is with him. Gideon doesn't do it on his own. God is now part of Gideon's life, and he's going to be with Gideon throughout Gideon's journey. We see this with Gideon's successes, and we see this with the Spirit enveloping Gideon. Look at verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon. Gideon himself was covered by the Spirit of the Lord. He was protected and secured by God. What God needed him to accomplish would come to pass because he had poured out his Spirit upon Gideon. Because of this, you can read the next few chapters of Judges and just see what Gideon was able to accomplish. And it's amazing. And it's not because Gideon was just really, really good at what he was called to do. It's because God gave him the power to do it. God had a plan and Gideon was going to follow through with that plan. Throughout the Scriptures, even looking past Gideon, you can see God with His people making the impossible possible. Just think about what happened with Abraham, Moses, David, Mary, Joseph, Paul, anybody you can name, just think about it. God is clearly at work making the impossible possible because God has a plan and God gives the Spirit to help His people develop through that plan. Everything God wants to have happen comes to pass. So, Gideon, clothed in the Spirit. That's how he was successful because he had people around him to help him and then he had the Spirit of God leading him. How can we be clothed in the Spirit? How do we get an angel from the Lord to come and visit us and say, I am with you? And there's a kicker here. There's an amazing truth here and it's we as Christians, we as individuals who have dedicated our lives to God, we as individuals who accepted what Christ has done for us, we already have the Spirit within us. We already have the Spirit to come and help us. But you don't have to take my word for it. Take Jesus' word. And Mark read part of this earlier in John 14. Jesus Himself is saying, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, He will teach you all the things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. God the Father gives us the Spirit to help guide us and show us just how to live a Christ-centered life. You can take these words as assurance that God has given us as Christians His Spirit to help us, to bring us into the fold of God. Because in this fallen world that wants to rip us away from God, the Spirit can bring us back to God. We must have that Spirit to compel us to Christ. We must have that Spirit to move in us so we can accept what He has done for us in our lives and accept what Christ has done. And we must expect, accept the Spirit to guide us in our lives so we can better honor and glorify God. So when the world is showing us hostility and when it seems like our earthly support system is just not enough, remember this. Remember that God has sent His Spirit to earth to help guide us Know that when we are faced with terrible situations, when we are too broken and battered to possibly climb up, God is here for us. 
God has a hold of you, has a hold of your heart, and He will see you through. No matter what the world throws at us, God has clothed us with mercy, grace, and righteousness. He has taken us under His wing and brought us back to Him. So when you think you can't do it anymore, when this hostility is crazy and your support system is failing, I encourage you to simply look up to the hills because that's where your help comes from. It comes from the maker of heaven and earth, the one who's going to keep you and be your shade, the one who will keep you from all evil and He will keep your life. That's the beauty of having the Spirit as our guide. There's no human or group of people on earth that can do this. So hold fast to God and His promise to keep you and guide you. Now, with all that, I'm not saying you're going to go through life in a fear-free way. Life is going to be hard. But as a Christian, we can be confident in what God has given us and a promise and a hope for a better day. God looked down and said, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Take the Spirit. It will clothe you. It will shelter you and comfort you. Just like it did with Gideon. So when we're filled with when we when we face with these inevitable hardships in our life, hopefully you can remember this story. Hopefully you can remember Gideon. Hopefully you can remember a story where somebody was called by God and he dedicated his life to God. And when he was when he was pressed on by the world, when the world was hostile against him, he still dedicated his life to following God. Hopefully we can do that as well. And also when you think of this story, hopefully you can just see the beauties of the people that God put in Gideon's life. And hopefully you can see the beauty of the people in your life today so you can help others as well. And then finally, hopefully, when you look at the story of Gideon, hopefully you can see that even when Gideon needed the most help possible, he got it ultimately from the Spirit Himself. He got it from God Himself, clothing Him in mercy and grace and power. Because that is also the truth for us. So, I want you all to hopefully remember the story of Gideon and I want you all to hopefully take it to heart that whatever happens in this world, however bleak and however hard it could be, we have a God that is always with us and always there to guide us. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for what you have done in our life, God. We thank you for being our guide, God. We thank you for being the bridge that we can become brought, we can be brought back to you, God. We ask that when we go through this life and, and we go through things that are taking us away from you, that we're able to look at those things and destroy them so we can just fix our eyes on you and your goodness and your love and mercy and grace, God. I want to give you all the, all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise because you're the only one worthy of it. Amen. Let's stand together as we think about God's call upon each of our lives to live for him, to surrender to him, to dedicate our lives to him.